0: Welcome back to the second part, Titanic, The Unseekable Ship of Dreams. I'm going to now start with her maiden voyage. Both Olympic and Titanic registered Liverpool as their home port. The offices of the White Star Line, as well as Cunard, were in Liverpool, and up until the Introduction of the Olympic, most British ocean liners for both Cunard and the White Star, such as the Lusitania and the Mauritania, sailed from Liverpool, followed by a port of call in Queenstown, Ireland. Since the company's founding in 1845, a vast majority of operations had taken place from Liverpool. However, in 1907, White Star Line established another service from Southampton on England's south coast, which would become known as White Star's Express Service. Southampton had many advantages over Liverpool, the first being its proximity to London. In addition to Southampton being the south coast, allowed ships to easily cross the English Channel and make a port of call on the northern coast of France, usually at Cherbourg. This allowed British ships to pick up clientele from continental Europe before recrossing the channel and picking up passengers at Queenstown. The Southampton-Cherbourg-New York run would become so popular that most British ocean liners began using the port after World War I. Out of respect for Liverpool, ships continued to be registered there until the early 1960s. Queen Elizabeth II was one of the first ships registered in Southampton when introduced into service by Cunard in 1969. titanic's maiden voyage was intended to be the first of many transatlantic crossings between southampton and new york via cherbourg and queenstown on westbound runs returning via plymouth in england while eastbound indeed her entire schedule of voyages through to december 1912 still exist When the route was established, four ships were assigned to the service. In addition to Teutonic and Majestic, RMS Oceanic and the brand new RMS Adriatic sailed the route. When the Olympic entered service in June 1911, she replaced Teutonic, which after completing her last run on the service in late April, was transferred to the Dominion Lions Canadian Service. The following August, Adriatic was transferred to White Star Line's main Liverpool-New York service and in November, Majestic was withdrawn from service impending the arrival of Titanic in the coming months and was mothballed as a reserve ship. White Star Line's initial plans for Olympic and Titanic on the Southampton run followed the same routine as their predecessors had done before them. Each would sail once every three weeks from Southampton, and New York, usually leaving at noon each Wednesday from Southampton and each Saturday from New York, thus enabling the White Star Line to offer weekly sailings in each direction. Special runs were scheduled from London and Paris to convey passengers to Southampton and Cherbourg, respectively. The deep water Dock at Southampton, then known as the White Star Dock, had been specially constructed to accommodate the new Olympic-class liners and had opened in 1911. Her Crew Titanic had around 885 crew members on board for her maiden voyage. Like other vessels of her time, she did not have a permanent crew, and the vast majority of crew members were casual workers who only came aboard the ship for a few hours before she sailed from Southampton. The process of signing up recruits had begun on March 23rd and some had been sent to Belfast where they were served as a skeleton crew during Titanic's sea trials and passage to England at the start of April. Captain Edward John Smith, the most senior of the White Star Line's captains, was transferred from Olympic to take command of Titanic. Henry... Tingle Willed also came across from Olympic to take the post of Chief Mate. Titanic's previously designed Chief Mate and First Officer William McCaster Murdoch and Charles Lightoller were bumped down to the ranks of First and Second Officer, respectively. The original Second Officer, David Blair, was dropped altogether. The Third Officer was Herman Herbert Pittman, the only deck officer who was not a member of the Royal Navy Reserve. Pittman was the second-to-last surviving officer. Titanic's crew were divided into three principal departments. Deck was 66 crew, engine with 325, and victualling with 494. The vast majority of the crew were not seamen but were either engineers firemen or stokers responsible for looking after the engines or stewards and galley staff responsible for the passengers of these over 97 percent were male just 23 of the crew were female mainly stewardesses the rest represented a great variety of professions bakers chefs butchers fishmongers dishwashers, stewards, gymnasium instructors, laundrymen, waiters, bedmakers, cleaners, and even a, paint, a printer, who produced a daily newspaper for passengers called the Atlantic Daily Bulletin with the latest news received by the ship's wireless operators. Most of the crews signed on in Southampton on April 6th. And in all, 699 of the crew came from there, and 40% were natives of the town. A few specialist staff were self-employed or were subcontractors. These included the five postal clerks who worked for the Royal Mail and the United States Post Office Department, the staff of the First Class a la carte restaurant, and the Café Parisian, the radio operators who were employed by Marconi and the eight musicians who were employed by an agency and traveled as second-class passengers. Crew pay varied greatly from Captain Smith's 105 pounds a month equivalent to 11,100 pounds today to the 3 pounds 10 shillings or 370 pounds today that stewardesses earned. The lower paid Staff could, however, supplement their wages substantially through tips from passengers. Passengers. Titanic's passengers numbered approximately 1,317 people, 324 in first class, 284 in second class, and 709 in third class. Of these, 869 or 60 percent 66% were male and 447, or 34%, were female. There were 107 children aboard, the largest number of whom were in third class. The ship was considered under capacity on her maiden voyage as she could accommodate 2,453 passengers, 833 first class, 614 second class, and 1,006 in third class. Usually, a high-prestige vessel like Titanic could expect to be fully booked on its maiden voyage. However, a national coal strike in the UK had caused considerable disruption to shipping schedules in the spring of 1912, causing many crossings to be canceled. Many would-be passengers chose to postpone their travel plans until the strike was over. The strike had finished a few days before Titanic sailed, however, that was too late to have much of an effect. Titanic was able to sail on the scheduled day only because coal was transferred from other vessels which were tied up at Southampton such as SS City of New York and RMS Oceanic, as well as coal that Olympic had brought back from a previous voyage to New York which had been stored at the White Star Dock. Some of the most prominent people of the day booked passage aboard Titanic. Traveling in first class. Among them, with those who perished marked with a dagger, were the American millionaire John Jacob Astor, who perished in the sinking, and his wife Madeline Force Astor, who was pregnant at the time. Industrialist Benjamin Guggenheim, who also perished in the disaster, who was a painter and sculptor. Uh, Excuse me. (laughs) Painter and sculptor Francis Davis Millay also perished. Macy's owner Isidore Strauss and his wife Ida both perished in the disaster. Denver millineress Margaret Molly Brown, or who would become known as the unsinkable Molly Brown. Sir Cosmo Duff Gordon and his wife Lacey. Lady Duff Gordon, who designed uh, fashions of the day. Lieutenant Colonel Arthur Puchin, writer and historian Archibald Gracie. Cricketer and businessman John B. Thayer, who perished in the sinking. With his wife Marion and their son Jack George Dunton Widener who also perished in the sinking of those three people. The only person who survived was Marion, his wife. And um, Eleanor and son Harry, who perished, Noelle Leslie, Countess of Roths, Mr. and Mrs. Charles M. Hayes, the Mr. Perishing in the Disaster, Mr. and Mrs. Henry S. Harper, the Mister perishing in the disaster, and Mrs. Walter D. Douglas, Mister and Mrs. George D. Dick, George perished, Mister and Mrs. Henry B. Harris, with the husband perishing in the disaster, Mister and Mrs. Arthur L. Ryerson, the husband perishing in the disaster, and Mrs. and Mister Hudson J. C. Allison their daughter and son. and and this, let's just pause for a moment. This one has got to be one of the most heartbreaking stories of the disaster is um, Mr. and Mrs. Hudson Allison were on the ship with their daughter Lorraine and their son Trevor and a nursemaid. During the disaster, the nursemaid, grew quite concerned and she ran off with the little baby boy and got in a lifeboat and she saved his life Um, but in the process Mr. and Mrs. Hudson Allison refused to leave the ship with their daughter until they could locate their son who they never found Um, and by the time they realized that um, it was too late There were no lifeboats left, and all three of them perished in the disaster. Their son, Trevor, lived to be 15 years old and then died of tuberculosis. Mr. and Mrs. Dickinson Bishop, noted architect Edward Austin Kent, who perished in the disaster, Brewery heir Harry Molson, who also perished in the disaster. Tennis players Carl Burr and Dick Williams, who survived. Author and socialite Helen Churchill Candy. Future lawyer and suffragette Elsie Bowerman and her mother Edith. Journalist and social reformer William Thomas Steed. Steed perished in the disaster. Journalist and fashion buyer Edith Rosenbaum. Philadelphia and New York socialite Edith Korst Evans, who perished. Wealthy divorcee Charlotte Drake Cardezza. French sculptor Paul Chavier. Author Jacques Voutrelle, who died in the disaster. His wife, May. Silent film actress Dorothy Gibson, with her mother, Pauline. President of the Swiss Bankerin. Colonel Alfonso Simonus Blumer survived. James A. Hughes, daughter Eloise, banker Robert Williams Daniel, the chairman of the Holland American Line, Johann Rocklin, Arthur Wellington Ross's son, John H. Ross, Washington Roebling's nephew, Washington A. Roebling II. Andrew Sachs' daughter, Lila Sachs Meyer, with her husband, Edgar Joseph Meyer, who was the son of Mark Eugene Meyer, perished in the disaster. William A. Clark's nephew, Walter M. Clark, with his wife, Virginia, a great-great-grandson of soap manufacturer Andrew Pears, Thomas C. Pears with his wife, John S. Pillsbury's honeymooning grandson, John P. Snyder, and wife, Nell, They both survived. Dorothy Parker's New York manufacturer uncle, Martin Rothschild, with his wife Elizabeth, and many others. Titanic's owner J.P. Morgan was scheduled to travel on the maiden voyage but canceled at the last minute. Also aboard the ship were the White Star Line's managing director, J. Bruce Ismay, and Titanic's designer Thomas Andrews, who perished in the disaster. Bruce Ismay survived who was on board to observe any problems and assess the general performance of the new ship. The exact number of people aboard is not known, as not all of those who had booked tickets made it to the ship. About 50 people canceled for various reasons, and not all of those who boarded stayed aboard for the entire journey. Fares vary depending on class and season. Third class fares from London, Southampton, or or Queenstown cost 7 pounds, 5 shillings, equivalent to about 800 pounds today. While the cheapest first class fares cost 23 pounds, or 2,400 pounds today. The most expensive first class suites were to have cost up to 870 pounds in high season, which is the equivalent of 92,000 pounds today. Titanic's maiden voyage began on Wednesday, April 10, 1912. Following the embarkment of the crew, the passengers began arriving at 9.30 a.m. when the London and Southwestern Railways boat train from London Waterloo Station reached Southampton Terminus Railway Station on the Quayside along the Titanic's berth. The large number of third-class passengers meant to That they were the first to board with first and second class passengers following up to an hour before departure. Stewards showed them to their cabins and first class passengers were personally greeted by Captain Smith. Third-class passengers were inspected for ailments and physical impairments that might lead to their being refused entry to the United States, a prospect the White Star Line wished to avoid as it would have to carry anyone who failed the examination back across the Atlantic. In all, 920 passengers boarded Titanic of Southampton, 179 first class, 247 second class, and 494 third class. Additional passengers were picked up at Cherbourg in Queenstown. The maiden voyage began at noon as scheduled. An accident was narrowly averted only a few minutes later as Titanic passed the moored liners SS City of New York of the American Line and Oceanic of the White Star Line, the latter of which would have been her running mate on the service from Southampton. Her huge Displacement caused both of the smaller ships to be lifted by a bulge of water and then dropped into a trough. New York's mooring cables could not take the sudden strain and snapped, swinging her around stern first towards the Titanic. A nearby tugboat Vulcan came to the rescue by taking New York under tow, and Captain Smith ordered Titanic's engines to be put full astern. The two ships avoided a collision by a distance of about four feet. The incident delayed Titanic's departure for about an hour while the drifting New York was brought under control. After making it safely through the complex tides and channels of Southampton water and the Solent, Titanic disembarked the Southampton pilot at the NAB lightship and headed out into the English Channel. She headed for the French port of Cherbourg, a journey of 77 nautical miles. The weather was windy, very fine but cold and overcast. Because Cherbourg lacked docking facilities for a ship the size of Titanic, tenders had to be used to transfer passengers from shore to ship. The White Star Line operated two at Cherbourg: SS Traffic and SS Nomadic. Nomadic being the only surviving White Star Line ship. Both have been had been. Designated specifically as tenders for the Olympic class liners and were launched shortly after Titanic. Four hours after Titanic left Southampton, she arrived at Cherbourg and was met by the tenders. There, 274 additional passengers were taken aboard 142 first class, 32nd class, and 102 third class. 24 passengers left aboard the tenders to be conveyed to shore, having booked only a cross tan- channel passage. The process was completed within only 90 minutes and at 8 p.m. Titanic weighed anchor and left for Queenstown with the weather continuing cold and windy. At about 11.30 a.m. on Thursday, April 11th, Titanic arrived at Cork Harbor on the south coast of Ireland. It was a partly cloudy but relatively warm day with a brisk wind. Again, the dock facilities were not capable were not suitable for a ship of Titanic size and the tenders America and Ireland were used to bring passengers aboard. In all, 123 passengers boarded Titanic at Queenstown, three first class, seven second class and 113 on third class. In addition to the 24 cross-channel passengers who had disembarked at Cherbourg, another seven passengers had booked an overnight passage from Southampton to Queenstown. Among the seven was Francis Brown, a Jesuit trainee who was a keen photographer and took many photographs aboard Titanic, including one of the last known photographs of the ship. The very last one was taken by another cross-channel passenger, Kate O'Dell. A decidedly unofficial departure was that of a crew member, Stoker John Coffey, a Queenstown native who sneaked off the ship by hiding under mailbags being transported to shore. Titanic weighed anchor for the last time at 1:30 p.m. and departed on her westward journey across the Atlantic. This would be the last time that Titanic left port. Titanic was planned to arrive at New York Pier 59 on the morning of April 17th after leaving Queenstown Titanic followed the Irish coast as far as Fastnet Rock, a distance of some 55 nautical miles. From there, she traveled 1,620 nautical miles along a great circle route across the North Atlantic to reach a spot in the ocean known as the Corner, southeast of Newfoundland, where westbound steamers carried out a change of course. Titanic sailed only a few hours past the corner on a rum line leg of 1,023 nautical miles to Nantucket Shoals Light, where she made her final contact with an iceberg. The final leg of the journey would have been 193 nautical miles to Ambrose Light and finally to New York Harbor. From April 11th to local apparent noon the next day, Titanic covered 484 nautical miles. The following day, 519 nautical miles, and by noon on the final day of her voyage, 546 nautical miles. From then until the time of her sinking, she traveled another 258 nautical miles, averaging about 21 knots. The weather cleared as she left Ireland under cloudy skies with a headwind. Temperatures remained fairly mild on Saturday, April 13th, but the following day, Titanic crossed a cold-weather front with strong winds and waves up to about 8 feet. These died down as the day progressed until, by the evening of Sunday, April 14th, it became clear, calm, and very cold. The first three days of the voyage from Queenstown had passed without apparent incident. A fire had begun in Titanic's forward-most coal bunker that supplied coal to boiler rooms 6 and 5, approximately 10 days prior to the ship's departure, and continued to burn for several days into its voyage, but passengers were unaware of this situation. Fires occurred frequently on board steamships at the time due to spontaneous combustion of the coal. The fires had to be extinguished with fire hoses by moving the coal on top to another bunker and by removing the burning coal and feeding it into the furnace. The fire was finally extinguished on April 14th. There has been some speculation and discussion as to whether this fire, in attempts to extinguish it, may have made the ship more vulnerable to sinking. Titanic received a steering a series of warnings from other ships of drifting ice in the area of the Grand Banks of Newfoundland, but Captain Smith ignored them. One of the ships to warn Titanic was the Atlantic line Maseba. Titanic continued to steam at full speed, which was standard practice at the time, although she was not trying to set a speed record. Timekeeping was a priority, and under prevailing maritime practices, ships were often operated at close to full speed. Ice warnings were seen as advisories, and reliance on place was placed upon lookouts and the watch on the bridge. It was generally believed that ice posed little danger to large vessels. Close calls with ice were not uncommon, and even head-on collisions had not been disastrous. In 1907, SS Kronprinz Wilhelm, a German liner, had rammed an iceberg but still completed her voyage, and Smith said in 1907 that he... Quote, Could not imagine any condition which would cause a ship to founder. Modern shipbuilding has gone beyond that. End quote. The sinking at 11:40 p.m. ship's time on April 14, 1912. Lookout Frederick Fleet spotted an iceberg immediately ahead of Titanic and alerted the bridge. First Officer William Murdoch ordered the ship to be steered around the iceberg and the engines to be reversed, but it was too late. The starboard side of Titanic struck the iceberg, creating a series of holes below the water line. The hole was not punctured, but rather dented, such that the steel plates of the hull buckled and separated, allowing water to rush in. Five of the 16 watertight compartments were heavily breached. A sixth compartment, boiler room five, was also slightly compromised. However, its flooding was contained to its forward starboard coal bunker for some time with the assistance of the pumps. It soon became clear that Titanic would sink as she could not remain afloat with more than four compartments flooded. She began sinking bow first with water spilling from compartment to compartment over the top of each watertight bulkhead as her angle in the water became steeper. Those aboard Titanic were ill-prepared for such an emergency. In accordance with accepted practices practices of the time as ships were seen as largely unsinkable and lifeboats were intended to transfer passengers to nearby rescue vessels, Titanic only had enough lifeboats to carry about half of those on board. If the ship had carried her full complement of about 3,339 passengers and crew, only about a third would have been accommodated in the lifeboats. The crew had not been trained adequately in carrying out an evacuation. The officers did not know how many they could safely put aboard the lifeboats and launched many of them barely half full. Third class passengers were largely left to fend for themselves causing many of them to become trapped below decks as the ship filled with water. The women and children first protocol was generally followed when loading the lifeboats and most of the male passengers and crew were left aboard. Women and children survived at rates of about 75% and 50% while only 20% of men survived. Between 2.10 and 2.15 a.m., a little over two and a half hours after Titanic struck the iceberg, her rate of sinking suddenly increased as the boat deck dipped underwater and the sea poured in through open hatches and grates. As her unsupported stern rose out of the water exposing the propellers, the ship broke into two main pieces between the second and third funnels due to the immense forces of the keel. With the bow underwater and air trapped in the stern, the stern remained afloat and buoyant for a few minutes longer, rising to a nearly vertical angle with hundreds of people still clinging to it before foundering at 2.20 a.m. It was believed the Titanic sank in one piece, But the discovery of the wreck many years later revealed that she had broken into two. All remaining passengers and crew were immersed in water at a temperature of negative two degrees Celsius or 28 degrees Fahrenheit. Only five who were in the water were helped into lifeboats, though the lifeboats had room for almost 500 more people. Distress signals were sent by wireless rockets and lamp, but none of the ships that responded were near enough to reach Titanic before she sank. A radio operator on board, SS Burma, for instance, estimated that it would be 6 a.m. before the liner could arrive at the scene. Meanwhile, SS Californian, which was the last to have been in contact before the collision, saw Titanic's flares but failed to assist. Around 4 a.m., RMS Carpathia, Arrived on the scene in response to Titanic's earlier distress calls. In lifeboat number two, fourth officer Boxhall lit several green Roman candles, signaling Carpathia to make her way towards them. The ship pulled alongside number two, where a woman in the boat cried, quote, wow. Titanic has gone down with everyone aboard, Boxhall quickly replied with shut up, lady. Boxhall later apologized for his outburst, but both people in involved agreed that it was acceptable, given the circumstances that they had just endured and their current conditions. One by one, Titanic's lifeboats were picked up by Carpathia. Passengers from collapsibles A and B were transferred into other boats and ferried to Carpathia. Collapsible Sea was towed by Lifeboat 14 to the ship where 5th Officer Lowe rigged up a sail. When asked how the, he knew, Lowe replied, Not all sailors are seamen and not all seamen are sailors. When the ship sank, the lifeboats that had been lowered were only filled up to an average of 60%. 706 people survived the disaster and were conveyed by Carpathia to New York. Titanic's original destination while 1517 people died. Can you can you imagine that's not even half not even half survived. You know, horrible. Carpathia's captain described the place as an ice field that had included 20 large bergs measuring up to 200 feet high and numerous smaller bergs, as well as ice flows and debris from Titanic. Passengers described being in the middle of a vast white plain of ice stud- studded with icebergs. This area is known as Iceberg Alley. I also um, came across a video on TikTok the other day. Somebody had posted, it was uh, a video... Of them showing the exact location, the exact day, everything at night. Um, anyway, the exact location of where the Titanic sank, and let me tell you, it is eerie. Um, it's just an eerie video. I just couldn't even. I couldn't even imagine being in complete darkness and watching this massive, massive ship just go down into the water. Um, that would just be, you know, just, I don't know. I don't know how I would feel about that. That would be scary as hell (laughs) if I'm being honest. Um, moving on to the aftermath of the sinking. This is the, like the immediate aftermath. The RMS Carpathia took three days to reach New York after leaving the scene of the disaster. Her journey was slowed by pack ice, fog, thunderstorms, and rough seas. She was, however, able to pass news to the outside world by wireless about what had happened. The initial reports were confusing, leading the American press to report erroneously on April 15th that Titanic was being towed to port by SS Virginian. Late on the night of April 15th, White Star reported a message received saying Titanic had sunk, but all her passengers and crew had been transferred to another vessel. Later that day, confirmation came through that Titanic had been lost and that most of her passengers and crew had died. The news attracted crowds of people to the White Star Line's offices in London, New York, Montreal, Southampton, Liverpool, and Belfast. It hit hardest in Southampton. Who whose people suffered the greatest losses from the sinking. Four out of every five crew members came from this town. Carpathia docked at 9.30 p.m. on April 18th at New York Piers, 54 and was greeted by some 40,000 people waiting at Quayside in heavy rain. Immediate relief in the form of clothing and transportation to shelters was provided by the Women's Relief Committee, the Traveler's Aid Society of New York, and the Council of Jewish Women, among other organizations. Many of Titanic's surviving passengers did not linger in New York, but headed out onwards immediately to relatives' homes. Some of the wealthier survivors chartered private trains to take them home and the Pennsylvania Railroad laid on a special train free of charge to take survivors to Philadelphia. Titanic's 214 surviving crew members were taken to the Red Star Line steamer SS Lapland where they were accommodated in passenger cabins. Carpathia was hurriedly restocked with food and provisions before resuming her journey to Austria-Hungary. Her crew were given a bonus of a month's wages by Cunard as a reward for their actions, and some of Titanic's passengers joined to give them an additional bonus of nearly £900 or £95,000 today divided among the crew members. The ship's arrival in New York led to a frenzy of press interest, with newspapers competing to be the first to report the survivors' stories. Some reporters bribed their way aboard the pilot boat New York, which guided Carpathia into harbor, and one even managed to get onto Carpathia before she docked. Crowds gathered outside outside newspaper offices to see the latest reports being posted in the windows and on billboards it took another four days for a complete list of casualties to be compiled and released adding to the agony of relatives waiting for news of those who had been aboard the titanic insurance aid for survivors and lawsuits in january 1912 the holes and equipment of titanic and olympic had been insured through lloyds of london and london marine insurance the total coverage was one million pounds or in today's money, $102 million per ship. The policy was to be free from all average under £150,000, meaning that the insurers would only pay for damage in excess of that sum. The premium negotiated by brokers Willis, Faber & Company, now Willis Group, was 15 shillings or 7 75 pounds in today's money per 100 pounds or 7,500 pounds which is the equivalent of 790,000 pounds today for the term of one year lloyd's paid the white star line the full sum owed to them within 30 days many charities were set up to help the survivors and their families many of whom had lost their sole wage earner or in the case of many third-class survivors everything they owned In New York City, for example, a joint committee of the American Red Cross and Charity Organization Society formed to disperse financial aid to survivors independence of those who had died. On April 29th, opera stars Enrico Caruso and Mary Garden and members of the Metropolitan opera raised $12,000 or $300,000 in 2014 in benefits for victims of the disaster by giving special concerts in which versions of autumn and nearer my God to thee were part of the program in Britain relief funds were organized for the family of Titanic's last crew members raising nearly 450,000 pounds or four forty-seven million in today's pounds. One such fund was still in operation as late as the 1960s. In the United States and Britain, more than 60 survivors combined to sue the White Star Line for damages connected to the loss of life and baggage. The claims totaled 16,804,112 or approximately 419 million in 2018 US dollars. That's a lot of money, which was far in excess of what White Star argued it was responsible for as a limited liability company under American law. Because the bulk of the litigants were in the United States, White Star petitioned the United States Supreme Court in 1914, which resulted in its favor that it qualified as an LLC and found that the causes of the ship sinking were largely unforeseeable rather than due to negligence. This sharply limited the scope of damages survivors and family members were entitled to, prompting them to reduce their claims to some two point five million. White Star only settled for six hundred sixty four thousand, approximately sixteen point five six million in twenty eighteen, about twenty seven percent of the original total sought by survivors. The settlement was agreed to be 44 of the claimants in December 1915, with 500000 set aside for American claimants, 50000 for the British, and 114000 to go towards interest and in legal expenses. Then came the investigations into the disaster. Even before the survivors arrived in New York, investigations were being planned to discover what had happened and what could be done to prevent a reoccurrence. Inquiries were held in both the United States and the United Kingdom, the former more robustly critical of traditions and practices and scathing of failures involved, and the latter broadly more technical and expert-oriented. The U.S. Senate's inquiry into the disaster was initiated on April 19, 1912, a day after Carpathia arrived in New York. The chairman, Senator William Alden Smith, wanted to gather accounts from passengers and crew while the events were still fresh in their minds. Smith also needed to subpoena all surviving British passengers and crew while they were still on American soil which prevented them from returning to the UK before the American inquiry was completed on May 25th. The British press condemned Smith as an opportunist, insensitively forcing an inquiry as a means of gaining political prestige and seizing his moment to stand on the world stage. Smith, however, already had a reputation as a campaigner for safety on U.S. railroads and wanted to investigate any possible malpractices by railroad tycoon J.P. Morgan, Titanic's ultimate owner. The British Board of Trade's inquiry into the disaster was headed by Lord Mercy and took place between May 2nd and July 13th, 1912. Being run by the Board of Trade, who had previously approved the ship, it was seen by some as having little interest in its own or White Star's conduct being found negligent. Each inquiry took testimony from both passengers and crew of Titanic, crew members of Leland Lines, Californian, Captain Arthur Rostron of Carpathia, and other experts. The British inquiry also took far greater expert testimony, making it the longest and most detailed court of inquiry in british history up to that time the two inquiries reached broadly similar conclusions the regulations on the number of lifeboats that ships had to carry were out of date and inadequate captain smith had failed to take proper heat of ice warnings the lifeboats had not been properly filled or crewed and the collision was the direct result of steaming into a dangerous area at too high of a speed Neither Inquiry's findings listed negligence by IMM or the White Star Line as a factor. The American Inquiry concluded that since those involved had followed standard practice, the disaster was an act of God. The British Inquiry concluded the Smith had followed long-standing practice that had not been previously shown to be unsafe, noting that British ships alone had carried 3.5 million passengers over the previous decade with a loss of just 10 lives, and concluded the Smith had done only that which other skilled men would have done in the same position lord mercy did however find fault in the extreme high speed 22 knots which was maintained following numerous ice warnings noting that what was a mistake in the case of the titanic would be without a doubt negligence in any similar case in the future The recommendations included strong suggestions for major changes in maritime regulations to implement implement new safety measures such as ensuring that more lifeboats were provided, that lifeboat drills were properly carried out, and that wireless equipment on passenger ships were manned around the clock. It should also be noted that there was a lifeboat drill scheduled for Sunday, April 14th, Uh, Unfortunately, Captain Smith decided not to do it because there was a church service on the Titanic the morning, that Sunday morning. And so it was never done. So then when Titanic hit the iceberg and began to sink, most of the crew um, were unsure of how to release the lifeboats from the Davits because... Um, it, it was a new system and everything else. They actually had to use knives and things just to cut the ropes on the lifeboats to get them out. And there were, I believe two lifeboats that were left on the ship because they could not get them off. Um, so, um, I think more people could have been saved if they would have done less lifeboat drill that morning or even that afternoon before the disaster occurred. But, um, You know, you can't go back in time. An international ice patrol was set up to monitor the presence of icebergs in the North Atlantic. And maritime safety regulations were harmonized internationally through the International Convention for the Safety of Life at Sea. Both measures are still enforced today. I'd say that's one good thing uh, that came out of the um, Titanic disaster is that um, it forced them to have uh, higher protocols and new policies um, for uh, sea travel that wasn't in place at the time. On June 18, 1912, Guglielmo Marconi gave evidence to the Court of Inquiry regarding the telegraphy its final report recommended that all liners carry the system and that sufficient operators maintain a constant service. The way in which the Titanic sank brought to light serious design issues with the Olympic class. This resulted in the Olympic receiving a major refit and major design changes for the construction of the Britannic. In August 1912, the liner Corsican also struck an iceberg in the Atlantic, severely damaging her bow. However due to the weather being hazy at the time her speed had been reduced to quote dead slow so limiting further damage although the lifeboats had been swung out they were not boarded One of the most controversial issues examined by the inquiries was the role played by SS Californian, which had only been a few miles from the Titanic, but had not picked up her distress calls or responded to her signal rockets. Californian had stopped for the night because of icy conditions and warned Titanic by radio, but was rebuked by Titanic senior wireless operator Jack Phillips. Testimony before the British inquiry revealed that at 10.10pm, Californian observed the lights of a ship to the south. It was later agreed between Captain Stanley Lord and 3rd Officer C.V. Groves, who had relieved Lord of Duty at 11.10pm, that this was a passenger liner at 11:50 p.m. the officer had watched that ship's lights flash out as if she had shut down or turned sharply and that the port light was now visible. Morse light signals to the ship upon Lord's order were made between 11:30 p.m. and 1 a.m. but were not acknowledged. If Titanic was so far from the Californian as Lord claimed, then he knew or should have known that Morse signals would not be visible. A reasonable and prudent course of action would have been to awaken the wireless operator and to instruct him to attempt to contact Titanic by that method. Had Lord done so, it it is possible that he could have reached Titanic in time to save additional lives. Captain Lord had gone to the chart room at 11 p.m. to spend the night. However, 2nd Officer Herbert Stone now on duty, notified Lord at 1.10 a.m. that the ship had fired five rockets. Lord wanted to know if they were company signals, that is, colored flares used for identification. Stone said that he did not know and that the, rock- excuse me, and that the rockets were all white. Captain Lord introduced the crew to continue to signal the other vessel with the Morse lamp, and went back to sleep. Three more rockets were observed at 1:50 a.m., and Stone noted that the ship looked strange in the water, as if she were listing. At 2:15 a.m., Lord was notified that the ship could no longer be seen. Lord again asked if the lights had any colors in them, and was informed that they were all white. Californian eventually responded. At around 5.30 a.m., Chief Officer George Stewart Awakened Wireless oper- Operator Cyril Fermistone Evans informed him that the rockets had been seen during the night and asked that he try to communicate with any ship. He got news of a Titanic's loss. Captain Lord was notified and the ship set out to render assistance. She arrived well after Carpathia had already picked up all survivors. The inquiries found that the ship seen by Californian was in fact the Titanic, and that it would have been possible for Californian to come to her rescue. Therefore, Captain Lord had acted improperly in failing to do so. The Survivors and Victims The number of casualties of the sinking is unclear, because of a number of factors. Those include confusion over the passenger list, which included some names of people who canceled their trip at the last minute, and the fact that several passengers traveled under aliases for various reasons and were therefore double counted on the casualty list. The death toll has been put at between 1,490 and 1,635 people. There is a table of figures from the British Board of Trade on the report of the disaster that provides the estimated number of people that were on first, second, and third class, in addition to the crew, who either survived or were lost. Um, You can easily access that online, and it's pretty staggering. Um, I... Based on the numbers, most of the people in third class did not survive. There were, um, you know, a small amount of number in first class that didn't survive. Most survived. And same thing in second class. Um, there, There's numbers, you know. And then they also have a list of numbers of animals because there were many first class um, that brought their dogs and other animals on the ship, and most of those animals did not survive the sinking. While the use of the Marconi wireless system did not achieve the result of bringing a rescue ship to Titanic before it sank, the use of wireless did bring the Carpathia in time to rescue some of the survivors who otherwise would have perished due to exposure. The water temperature was well below normal in the area where Titanic sank. It also contributed to the rapid death of many passengers during the sinking. Water temperature readings taken around the time of the accident were reported to be negative 2 degrees Celsius or 28 degrees Fahrenheit. Typical water temperatures were normally around 7 degrees Celsius or 45 degrees Fahrenheit during mid-April. The coldness of the water was a critical factor, often causing death within minutes for many of those in the water. Fewer than a third of those aboard Titanic actually survived the disaster. Some survivors died shortly afterwards, injuries and the effects of exposure caused the deaths of several of those brought aboard Carpathia. The figures show stark differences in the survival rates of the different classes aboard Titanic. Although only 3% of first-class women were lost, 54% of those in third-class died. Similarly, 5 of 6 first-class and all second-class children survived, but 52 of the 79 in third-class perished. The differences by gender were even bigger. Nearly all female crew members, first- and second-class passengers, were saved. Men from the first class died at a higher rate than women from the third class. In total, 50% of the children survived, 20% of the men, and 75% of the women. Thomas Andrews, the chief naval architect of the shipyard, died in the disaster. And the last living survivor, Milvina Dean from England, who at only nine weeks old, was the youngest passenger aboard died age 97 on May thirty first, 2009. There were two special survivors who were the stewardess Violet Jessup and the stoker Arthur John Priest who survived the sinkings of both Titanic and the HMHS Britannic and were both aboard RMS Olympic when she rammed in 1911. Retrieval and Burial of the Dead once the massive loss of life became known white star line chartered the cable ship c.s mckay bennett from halifax nova scotia canada to retrieve the bodies three other canadian ships followed in the search the cable ship menia lighthouse supply ship montmagny and sealing vessel algerine each ship left with embalming supplies undertakers and clergy Of the 333 victims that were eventually recovered, 328 were retrieved by the Canadian ships and five more by passing North Atlantic steamships. Now, when you look at those numbers, you can see how many bodies were lost to the sea or could not be recovered. I mean, they could only recover 333, but yet some 1,500 people were lost in this disaster the first ship to reach the site of the sinking the cs mckay bennett found so many bodies that the embalming supplies aboard were quickly exhausted health regulations required that only embalmed bodies could be returned to port captain larner of the mckay bennett and undertakers aboard decided to preserve only the bodies of first class passengers justifying their their decision by the need to visually identify wealthy men to resolve any disputes over larger estates as a result, many third-class passengers and, re- and crew were buried at sea. Lardner identified many of those buried at sea as crew members by their clothing and stated that as a mariner, he found himself would be contented. Bodies recovered or preserved for transport to Halifax, the closest city to the sinking with direct rail and steamship connections. The Halifax Register of Vital Statistics, John Henry Barnstead developed a detailed system to identify bodies and safeguard personal possessions. Relatives from across North America came to identify and claim bodies. A large temporary morgue was set up in the curling rink of the Mayflower Curling Club, and undertakers were called in from all all across eastern Canada to assist. Some bodies were shipped to be buried in their hometowns across North America and Europe. About two-thirds of the bodies were identified. Unidentified victims were buried with simple numbers based on the order in which their bodies were discovered. The majority of recovered victims, 150 bodies, were buried in three Halifax cemeteries, the largest being Fairview Lawn Cemetery, followed by the nearby Mount Olivet and Baron D. Hirsch cemeteries. In mid-May 1912, RMS Oceanic recovered three bodies over 200 miles from the site of the sinking who were among the original occupants of Collapsible A. When 5th Officer Harold Lowe and six crewmen returned to the wreck site sometime after the sinking in a lifeboat to pick up survivors, they rescued a dozen males and one female from Collapsible A. but left the dead bodies of three of its occupants. After the retrieval from collapsible A by Oceanic, the bodies were buried at sea. The last Titanic body recovered was steward James McCrady body number 330, found by the chartered Newfoundland Sealing Vessel Algerine on May 22nd and buried at Fairview Lawn Cemetery in Halifax on June 12th. Only 333 bodies of Titanic victims were ever recovered, which amounted to one in five of the over 1,500 victims. Some bodies sank with the ship while currents quickly dispersed bodies and wreckage across hundreds of miles miles making them difficult to recover by june one of the last search trips reported that life jackets supporting bodies were coming apart and releasing bodies to sink wow bodies of passengers of the titanic were numbered as they were brought aboard physical characteristics clothing identifying marks and personal effects were all documented personal effects were just were stored separately, labeled with the same body number, and valuables were locked up by the purser. Without enough material or space to handle bodies and their belongings, the crew had to triage. The Wreckage Titanic was long thought to have sunk in one piece, and over the years many schemes were put forward to raising the wreck. None came to fruition. The fundamental problem was the sheer difficulty of finding and reaching a wreck that lies over 12,000 feet below the surface where the water pressure is over 5,000 pounds per square inch, about 400 standard atmospheres. A number of expeditions were mounted to find Titanic, but it was not until September 1, 1985 that a Franco-American expedition led, to, led by John Louis Michael and Robert Ballard succeeded. The team discovered the Titanic had in fact split apart, probably near or at the surface, before sinking to the seabed. The separated bow and stern sections lie about a third of a mile apart in Titanic Canyon off the coast of Newfoundland. They are located 13.2 miles from the inner accurate coordinates given by Titanic's radio operators on the night of her sinking and approximately 715 miles from Halifax, or 1,250 miles from New York. Man, they were so close. When it, you know, when it sank, they were... I mean, if you look at a map and you see where Halifax in relation to... Uh, you know, there's maps of this. Uh, Halifax in relation to New York. In relation to the spot that the Titanic sank. The Titanic was so close. Not even a day from being in New York. I mean, just, it's insane. Both sections struck the seabed at considerable speed, causing the bow to crumple and the stern to collapse entirely. The bow is by far the more intact section and still contains some surprising intact interiors. In contrast, the stern is completely wrecked. Its decks have been pancaked down on top of each other and much of the whole plating was torn off and lies scattered across the seafloor. The much greater level of damage to the stern is probably due to structural damage incurred during the sinking. Thus weakened, the remainder of the stern was flattened by the impact with the seabed. The two sections are surrounded by a debris field measuring approximately 5 by 3 miles. It contains hundreds of thousands of items such as pieces of the ship, furniture, dinnerware, and personal items which fell from the ship as she sank or were ejected when the bows and stern impacted on the seafloor. The debris field was also the last resting place of a number of Titanic's victims. Most of the bodies and clothes were consumed by sea creatures and bacteria, leaving pairs of shoes and boots which have proved to be inedible as the only sign that bodies once lay there. Since its initial discovery, the wreck of Titanic has been revisited on numerous occasions by explorers, scientists, filmmakers, tourists, and salvagers who have recovered thousands of items from the debris field for conservation and public display the ship's condition has deteriorated significantly over the years particularly from accidental damage by submersibles but mostly because of an accelerating rate of growth of iron eating bacteria on the whole in 2006 it was estimated that within 50 years the hull and structure of titanic would eventually collapse entirely leaving only the more durable interior fittings of the ship intermingled with a pile of rust on the seafloor. Many artifacts from Titanic have been recovered from the seabed by RMS Titanic Incorporated, which exhibits them in touring exhibitions around the world and in a permanent exhibition at the Luxor Las Vegas Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada a number of other museums exhibit artifacts either donated by survivors or retrieved from the floating bodies of victims of the disaster on april 16 2012 the day after the 100th anniversary of the sinking photos were released showing possible human remains resting on the ocean floor the photos taken by robert ballard during an expedition led by noaa in 2004 show a show a boot and a coat close to Titanic's stern which experts called compelling evidence that this is the spot where somebody came to rest and that human remains could be buried in the sediment beneath them the wreck of the titanic falls under the scope of the 2001 unesco convention on the protection of the underwater cultural heritage this means that all states party to the convention will prohibit the pillaging, commercial exploitation, sale, and dispersion of the wreck and its artifacts. Because of the location of the wreck in international waters and the lack of any exclusive jurisdiction over the wreckage area, the convention provides a state cooperation system by which states inform each other of any Potential activity concerning ancient shipwreck sites like the Titanic, and cooperate to prevent unscientific or unethical intervention. Interventions. Submersible dry dives in 2019 have further found further deterioration of the wreck, including loss of the captain's bathtub. Between July 29th and August 4th, 2019, a two-person submersible vehicle that was conducting research and filming a documentary crashed into the wreck. EWAS Expeditions executed the dives. It reported that the strong currents pushed the submersible into the wreck, leaving a red dust stain on the submersible's side. The report did not mention if the Titanic sustained damage. In May 2023, Magellan LTD, a deep water seabed mapping company, announced that they had created a digital twin of the Titanic, showing the wreckage in a level of detail that had never been captured before. The company created the model from some 715,000 3D images captured over the course of a six-week exercise expedition in the summer of 2022 using two submersibles named romeo and juliet they mapped every millimeter of the wreckage as well as the entire three nautical mile debris field creating the model took about eight months On June 18, 2023, the submersible Titan, operated by Oceangate Expeditions, went missing in the North Atlantic Ocean off the coast of Newfoundland. The submersible, designed to carry five people, was carrying an expedition of tourists to view the wreckage of the Titanic. On June 22, 2023, the operating company announced that they believed the Titan crew were lost at sea after a catastrophic implosion of the submersible. And six days later, the U.S. Coast Guard announced its discovery of presumed human remains consistent with such an implosion found within recovered remnants of the Titan. And on to Titanic's legacy. This is the safety part. Um, After the disaster, recommendations were made by both the British and American boards of inquiry, stating that ships should carry enough lifeboats for all aboard, mandated lifeboat drills would be implemented lifeboat inspections would be conducted many of those these recommendations were incorporated into the international convention for the safety of life at sea passed into in 1914. the convention has been updated by periodic amendments with a completely new version adopted in 1974. signatories to the convention followed up With national legislation to implement the new standards, for example, in Britain, new rules for life saving appliances were passed by the Board of Trade on May 8, 1914, and then applied at a meeting of British steamship companies in Liverpool in June 1914. Further, the United States government passed the Radio Act of 1912. This act, along with the International Convention for the Safety of Life at Sea, stated that radio communications on passenger ships would be operated 24 hours a day, along with a secondary power supply so as not to miss distress calls. Also, the Radio Act of 1912 required ships to maintain contact with vessels in their vicinity, as well as coastal onshore radio stations. In addition, it was agreed in the International Convention for the Safety of Life at Sea that the firing of red rockets from a ship must be interpreted as a sign of need for help. Once the Radio Act of 1912 was passed, it was agreed that rockets at sea would be interpreted as distress singles only, thus removing any possible misinterpretation from other ships. In the same year, the Board of Trade chartered the baroque scotia to act as a weather ship in the grand banks of newfoundland keeping a lookout for icebergs a marconi wireless telegraph was installed to enable her to communicate with stations on the coast of labrador and newfoundland finally the disaster led to the formation and international funding of the international ice patrol an agency of the u.s coast guard That, to the present day, monitors and reports on location of North Atlantic Ocean icebergs that could pose a threat to transatlantic sea traffic. Coast Guard air traffic conduct, the primary resonance. In addition, the information is collected from ships operating in or passing through the ice area. Except for the years of the two world wars, the International Ice Patrol has worked each season since 1913. During the period, there has not been a single reported loss of life or property due to collision with an iceberg in the patrol area. And cultural. Titanic has gone down in history as the ship that was called unsinkable. For more than 100 years, she has been the inspiration of fiction and nonfiction. She is commemorated by monuments for the dead and by museums exhibiting artifacts from the wreck. Just after the sinking, memorial postcards sold in huge numbers, together with memorabilia ranging from tin can candy boxes to plates, whiskey jiggers, and even black morning teddy bears. The sinking inspired many ballads, such as the Titanic. Several survivors wrote books about their experiences, but it was not until 1955 that the for- first Historically accurate book, A Night to Remember, was published. The first film about the disaster, saved from the Titanic, was released only 29 days after the ship sank and had an actual survivor as its star, the silent film actress Dorothy Gibson. This film is considered lost. The British film, A Night to Remember, 1958, is still widely regarded as the most historically accurate movie portrayal of the sinking. The most financially successful by far has been James Cameron's Titanic from 1997, which became the highest grossing film in history up to that time, as well as the winner of 11 Oscars at the 70th Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Best Director for Cameron. The Titanic disaster was commemorated through a variety of memorials and monuments to the victims erected in several English-speaking countries and, in particular, in cities that had suffered notable losses. These included Southampton and Liverpool in England, New York and Washington DC in the the United States, and Belfast and Cobb, formerly formerly called Queenstown in Ireland. A number of museums around the world have displays on Titanic. The most prominent is in Belfast, the ship's birthplace. RMS Titanic Incorporated, which is authorized to salvage the wreck site, has a permanent Titanic exhibition at the Luxor Las Vegas Hotel and Casino in Nevada, which features a 22-ton slab of the ship's hull. It also runs an exhibition which travels around the world. In Nova Scotia, Halifax's Maritime Museum of the Atlantic displays items that were recovered from the sea a few days after the disaster. They include pieces of woodwork, such as paneling from the ship's first-class lounge, and an original deck chair, as well as objects removed from the victims. In 2012, the centenary was marked by plays, radio programs, parades, exhibitions and special trips to the site of the sinking together with commemorative stamps and coins. Royal Mail, whose mail was carried by RMS Titanic, included 10 first-class UK postage stamps, each with the crown seal, to mark the disaster. In a frequently commented on literary coincidence, Morgan Robertson authored a novel called Futility in 1898 about a fictional British passenger liner with a plot bearing a number of similarities to the Titanic disaster. In the novel, the ship is S.S. Titan, a four-stacked liner, the largest in the world and considered unsinkable, like the Titanic. She sinks in April after hitting an iceberg and does not have enough lifeboats. Eerie, right? In Northern Ireland... It took many decades before the significance of Titanic was promoted in Northern Ireland, where it was built by Harland and Wolfe in Belfast. While the rest of the world embraced the glory and tragedy of Titanic, it remained a taboo subject throughout the 20th century in its birth city. The sinking brought t- tremendous grief and was a blow to Belfast's pride. Its shipyard was also a place many Catholics regarded as hostile. In the latter half of the century, during a 30-year secretarian conflict, Titanic was a reminder of the lack of civil rights that in part contributed towards the Troubles. While the fate of Titanic remained a well-known story within local households through the 20th century, commercial investment in projects recalling RMS Titanic's legacy was modest because of these issues. After the Troubles and Good Friday Agreement, the number of overseas Overseas tourists visiting Northern Ireland increased. It was subsequently identified in the Northern Ireland Tourism Board's Strategic Framework for Action 2004 to 2007 that the significance of an interest in Titanic globally partly due to the 1997 film Titanic was not being fully exploited as a tourist attraction. Thus, Titanic Belfast was super was spearheaded along with some similar smaller projects such as Titanic Memorial. In 2012, on the ship's cent- centenary, the Titanic Belfast visitor attraction was opened on the site of the shipyard where Titanic was built. It was Northern Ireland's second most visited tourist attraction with almost 700,000 visitors in 2016. In late August 2018, several groups were vying for the right to purchase the 5,500 Titanic relics that were an asset of the bankrupt Premier Exhibitions. Eventually, Titanic Belfast, Titanic Foundation Limited, and the National Museum's Northern Ireland joined with the National Maritime Museum as a consortium that was raising money to purchase the artifacts. The group intended to keep all of the items together as a single exhibit. Oceanographer Robert Ballard said he favored this bid since it would ensure that the memorabilia would be permanently displayed in Belfast where Titanic was built and in Greenwich. The museums were critical of the bid process set by the bankruptcy court in Jacksonville, Florida. The minimum bid for the October 11, 2018 auction was set at US $21.5 million dollars. and the consortium did not have enough funding to meet that amount. On October 17, 2018, the New York Times reported that a consortium of three hedge funds, Apollo Global Management, Alta Fundamental Advisors, and Packbridge, had paid U.S. $19.5 million for the collection. And replicas... There have been several proposals and studies for a project to build a replica ship based on the Titanic. A project by South African businessman Cyril Gauss was abandoned in 2006, and a project by Australian businessman Clive Palmer was announced in 2012, 2012, known as the Titanic II. A Chinese shipbuilding company known as Wuchang Shipbuilding Industry Group Corporation, LTD, commenced construction in November 2016 to build a replica ship of the Titanic for use at a resort. The vessel was to house many features of the original, such as a ballroom, dining hall, theater, first-class cabins, economy cabins, and a swimming pool. Tourists were to be able to reside inside the Titanic during their time at the resort. It was to be permanently docked at the resort and featured an audio-visual simulation of the sinking which has caused some criticism. As of 2022, however, it was reportedly only 25% complete and its website and Twitter account are offline. RMS Olympic was the sister ship of the Titanic. The interior decoration of the dining salon and the grand staircase were in the identical style and created by the same craftsmen. Large parts of the interior were, of, excuse me, Large parts of the interior of the Olympic were later sold and are now in the White Swan Hotel in Elmwick, which gives an impression of how the interior of the Titanic looked. And that's it. I know that was super long. (laughs) Um, yeah, I tried to do this in two parts, so the second part's super long. I, I apologize. Um, but anyway, I hope you guys have a great day. Um, leave me reviews um send me requests for future episodes like you have done for this one um and i'll take a look at those but thank you for listening